before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. You're about to listen to a special preview edition of the Grant Williams podcast featuring my very special guest and good friend Julian Brigden of MI2 Partners. Julian has been on the podcast a couple of times before and uh, if you listen to either of those you'll know what to expect. Julian is thoughtful, he's incredibly insightful, does an enormous amount of work on his research product and he is a lot of fun. You can find Julian's work uh, at mi2partners.com and he's on Twitter at JulianMI2 and if you don't follow him already you are missing out Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including the end game, super terrific happy hour, and the narrative game, This Week in Doom, Shifts Happen, and Chaos Theory is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts, but members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hum. So if you enjoy what you hear on the show and you want more high quality content like it, then please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And with that, on with the show. Julia, matey, good to see you uh, virtually. The last time I saw you, we were having dinner in Zurich in November, which was a lot of fun. How, how's, how's the time been since then? Well, I mean, I mean, that was just a culmination of a, of, of a year where I just didn't seem to stop, Grant. I mean, it just, you know, I, I looked at my carbon footprint and i was like oh god and i and my fiance and i were determined this year that we were not going to do the same uh, we just looked at the calendar and went oh. <laughs> yeah I, I i i feel your pain believe me believe me. what is it february the first i've been in four countries so far in, in right. january well, I, this year. I can't i can't quite top that but i've been you know i came back from the uk beginning of the year was in Boston for a few weeks now, uh, which I think is the world's most expensive closet that I'm renting there. I'm now in Colorado. We fly off to the Azores for three days. We come back. Then I'm back to the UK. I mean, it's it, it's, it's kicked madness. off. It's kicked well, thank off. God. Thank God that amongst the hectic travel schedules, the markets are being nice and quiet and placid and there's nothing really happening. I mean, do you imagine how much worse it'd be if there was a lot going on? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So look, exactly. I mean, there is there is there is so much to talk about, but I want to start with something that I know you have been focused on, and that is our old fairy tale friend Goldilocks, and the uh, the idea that once again, you know, we've, we've been here before, we've been here before, but this time, absolutely, Goldilocks is going to be uh, the outcome. So, give us your the way you assess that, the probabilities, where you think they're right, where they think they're wrong, and what you think actually is more likely to happen. So I think, look, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not downbeat on this, but I think I'm realistic. So I went back and looked at all the tightening cycles since sort of 1960. We've had 12 tightening cycles, Grant. We've had eight recessions and we've had four quote-unquote soft landings. So statistically, one in three. Yeah, which is better than I would thought it would be. Yeah, not horrible, but one one in three. So we've gone all in on a sort of, you know, I look at this as like a 95 delta that we've got a soft landing. So the first thing I would say is, if you go back and you look at the four instances, 
that we've had, where you've had a quote-unquote soft landing, everyone bar one started with significant degrees of higher unemployment. Now, why is why is that important? Because when you look at this sort of soft landing narrative, I think the market is singularly focused on one metric, and that is inflation. And inflation has fallen. We can talk about the nature of the fall in inflation uh, later on, but it has definitively fallen. But there's also something else which I think people overlook, and that is it's great if inflation falls, but it's important in when you've got very, very low levels of unemployment that you can't just go straight into a reacceleration of real growth, right? So what you need to do is you need nominal GDP, so inflation plus real growth, to fall at the same time. And what's interesting is it isn't, right? It's stuck at six. And I think it's stuck at six because the way I model it is I look at the uh, sort of broad metric of the labor market. It's a very good proxy for nominal GDP because it's kind of take home pay for the US economy. And that's still that's still buzzing along quite nicely. So the market's focused on this sort of slowing inflation. They're like, OK, the Fed can slash rates. We can talk about the nature of the tightening cycle the Fed's been in in a second. But the Fed can slash rates and we can go off to the races. And I'm like, Okay, well, let's look at that concept of going off to the races in the context of those prior four soft landings. So as I said, three of them, you had much higher levels of unemployment. So in other words, you had slack in the labor market where you could support a reacceleration of real growth, right? Now, there's one where we tried to reaccelerate from the current level of unemployment, and that is 1966, 1967. And it looked, Grant, like we'd absolutely nailed the triple sulco with the tuck and landed on our tippy toes and we'd done it, only to find that as unemployment didn't rise and then tried to fall again as as growth picked up, wage pressure came straight through again and off we were to the races in terms of inflation again. And... I think as things stand at the moment, that's the real risk. Now, I'm open to the possibility that there is one get-out-of-jail-free card, and that is what happened in the late 90s, and that is that we saw productivity jump, right? And that really is the great kind of of get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Because productivity will enable you to run high levels of nominal GDP, which is great for stocks. It will drive down inflation which is great for bonds, and it will enable unemployment potentially to fall, potentially to fall. As I said, I'm cynical because we've never done it from this level. Even in 95, we were starting with unemployment at 575, so 200 basis points above where we are. So I I, kind of look at this thing and I look at this sort of 95 all-in bet that the world's got, that inflation is vanquished, the Fed can slash rates, not just fine-tune them, which is what, by the way, was what they did in 95, when I think they were following a similar policy framework to the one they are now. And I just go, oh, I, you know, I'm really, really cynical about this, right? I mean, I posted on Twitter the other day two charts which to me were important, and it was the correlation between bond prices and stock prices, which is very positive. It's about as positive as it's been in the last sort of 25 years. So in other words, they went up together and they go down together. And then I looked at this, at the same time, you had the 20-year lows on inflation expectations. And I just sort of thought, oh, 
what could possibly go wrong? Look, it's interesting. When you look at this, there's obviously, there's two sides. There's the market and there's the Fed. So help me think through what the Fed are thinking, because probably too simplistically, I look at this and say, look, the Fed have managed to do something that nobody said they could do and get rates to, you know, high fives, right? Nobody said they had a chance of doing that, not even close. They have 3% is going to break the entire thing. And whilst to many people that is going to seem like an unconscionably high level of interest, as you and I know, that going back, that's about the baseline, right? 6% is about right. That's that's the cost of capital, essentially, averaging over time. So when I look at that, I put myself in their position and think, geez, you know, we were so lucky here because we, we nailed rates to zero, took them negative, uh, did everything we could, and there was a very strong chance that we wouldn't be ever able to get off our knees, let alone get to where we are today, and we're here. And I and baffled as to why they would give up that hard-earned ground that they've taken back, right, from the market. And the fact that they are, and maybe this has devolved over time, but it seems to me that they are so beholden to markets, they're so worried about markets, we have to make sure markets are okay, which is farcical given the levels they're at. You know, they could give up 20% and be where they were like, you know, a month ago, <laughs> some of these things, right? <laughs> yeah. So help me understand what the Fed are thinking, if you can, because I, I, I just, given up those vital percentage points that they've clawed back, seems like a very foolish thing to do to me. The starting point is, you're right. You, are, you, you identified that you know these central banks are quite worried. They're quite worried by the beasts that they've created through years of quantitative easing and the sort of feedback loops into the real economy. So I think there is a a natural point of hesitancy, concern about underlying fragility in the system. So I think that's that's the starting point, Grant. The second thing is, I think you're giving them too much cred in the sense that you say, no one would have thought they'd be able to get rates up to this level. I didn't think, I think they didn't think they'd be able to get rates up to here. I think the big thing that they didn't understand till late and a lot of people didn't, was the sheer role of fiscal policy. I think absent the sheer, you know, explosion of the deficit in a pro-cyclical way, which is very, very, very unusual, as we all know. You go and look at, at deficits typically, and it, and it rises when unemployment rises, right? This has gone quite the opposite, so a pro-cyclical sort of stimulus. There's no way... I think Fed policy would have wrought enormous degree of damage. I had a client who has access to some very good data series, and they were looking at a uh, leading economic indicator that went back 100 years and was at a level in Q1 of last year where every time in the last 100 years you've been at that level, you've had a recession, bar 1966, 1967. And with hindsight, and it's quite difficult to know this fiscal stimulus. Goldman came out with some work and the fiscal stimulus in Q1 of last year was 8.5% of disposable income. 8.5% of disposable income through all these sort of like, you know, automatic increases in, you know, inflation linking stuff and COLA and so on and so forth. This first quarter, I think it's in the mid threes. It's not as big. Mid to upper threes. But, but it's, it's another mid to upper threes. But it's another kicker. So I think the Fed is a little surprised that they managed to get rates to these levels. Now, I think the hope 
was always, and there are only really two policy options when you had inflation of this magnitude. The first one is you do the bulk right? And that actually takes it. The full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.